you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Proverbs or open up your bulletin. It might be more convenient, as we said, instead of flipping around the book of Proverbs. Uh, we will be in the book of Proverbs uh, through for the next couple of weeks. And then uh, beginning in the summer, we, we do believe there is a New Testament. <laughs> We've been in the Old Testament uh, with the book of Judges and in Proverbs. Uh, but we, you know, we're a church that goes straight through books of the Bible, and we normally rotate between Old Testament and New Testament and get, uh, to get a full diet of Scripture, so to speak. We've been in the Old Testament for a little while. Um, in Proverbs and in Judges, we will move to the New Testament and do the book of Acts uh, starting uh, this summer. Uh, but we're finishing up Proverbs, and remember, Proverbs is wisdom literature, and so it's a little different than other books, and it needs to be studied differently. Uh, we've been studying it topically, and everyone agrees that's the best way to study a book like Proverbs. You take a particular topic and pull Proverbs from all over the book of Proverbs, pull them together, and you look at different aspects of a particular topic and what Proverbs has to say about it. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing in our study in Proverbs, uh, and we've defined wisdom as Uh, skill at doing life, or the ability to navigate with competence uh, the complexities uh, of life. Wisdom is the ability to know the right thing to do and how to do it and when to do it in those gray areas of life where the moral rules don't apply. This morning we're going to be looking at the topic of wisdom and pride. And so follow along with me uh, again in your bulletin or on the screen. As I read God's word, I'll just go straight through these Proverbs starting with chapter 11, verse 2. This is God's word. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Pretty direct, isn't it? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Uh, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, but humility comes before honor. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to help us through his spirit this morning. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that your word, that we can't fully understand it and apply it without your help. We are that helpless. Uh, in approaching you and your word. We need your Holy Spirit to come and to uh, make this word and this topic clear. 
We need you to help us to see ourselves clearly this morning. And so I pray that you would wake us up, that you would help us to pay attention, that you would help us not to see this as applying to someone we know, but see this as applying to someone like us. Uh, Lord, also help us through your spirit uh, to show us clearly the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace, because that is what will change us. So help us in Jesus' name, amen. My wife Susie's parents live in Greenville, South Carolina, and they live fairly close to a railroad track. And I remember 20 years ago when I would go and stay with Susie and her family, and I remember at the very beginning, at about 3 in the morning, I would wake up and to the sound of a train whistle uh, or to the sound of Beyond that, it sounded like a train was coming through the middle of the house. (laughs) I would eventually go back to sleep. The next morning, we're around the breakfast table, and you're doing the uh, pleasantries and the common. So how did you sleep last night, Jason? Well, I didn't. (laughs) It sounded like a train was coming through the middle of the house, to which her dad responded, what train? See, they'd lived there for decades. What train? They didn't hear a train. They had become so accustomed to the sound of a train, and if you live near a train track, you do too, so that it becomes so natural for you that you don't hear it anymore. It simply becomes a part of the landscape of your life and becomes the sights and sounds uh, around where you live. And we could think of hundreds of examples of this kind of thing in everyday life. But did you know that pride is like that? Pride is like that. Pride is one of those things that is so a part of our lives. It's like the train sounds. It's so a part of our lives that we don't even notice it anymore. We've become so comfortable with it. It's so familiar and so natural. And yet Proverbs says that if we do not deal with our pride, then we have no hope at being wise. And that's what we're after. That's why we're doing this series on wisdom. We want to grow in wisdom. Look at 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. We're going to look at pride this morning because we've got to deal with our pride because if we don't, it will short circuit and kill wisdom in our lives. Three things this morning on pride. The definition of pride, the trouble with pride, And lastly, we'll look at the healing of our pride. So the definition, the trouble, and healing of pride. Let's look at number one, the definition of pride. All throughout the book of Proverbs, um, Proverbs is used in a very negative way. It's a very negative attribute. And I think it's worth saying, for clarity's sake, uh, that the kind of pride we're talking about this morning is not the pride like when you tell your kids, I'm proud of you or taking pride in your work. Those are good things, or pride in uh, your country. That's not the kind of pride uh, that we're talking about this morning and we see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, 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 Pride is a very negative, bad characteristic in the book of Proverbs, and really in the Bible. It's uh, to be 
if we could summarize it, or if you're looking for just a real short definition of pride, we could use the phrase uh, self-absorption. Pride is self-absorption or self-concentration. And it's interesting because if we were to do a study of the word pride from Genesis to Revelation, we would be here a while because in some senses you could say that pride is the foundational sin. That it's the sin in our life to which every other sin falls out, flows out of. Why? Because sin uh, is saying we can live without God. We don't need him. What is pride? Same thing. Pride is the lie that we can live without God. We see it in the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. Pride places the love of self above love of God and love of neighbor. And so pride places you at the center of your existence. What does it look like, let's work that out, for you to live at the center of your existence? Well, first it looks like condescension. It looks like looking down at other people. Look at Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor, so it's a belittling of other people, lacks sense. Proverbs twenty one twenty four. Scoffer is his name. Uh, the name of the arrogant, haughty, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. We see the scoffer all throughout Proverbs as someone who is opposed. It's the complete opposite of someone who has wisdom. The scoffer is the one who is arrogant and haughty. You see haughty all throughout the book of Proverbs. What does haughty mean? Haughty is defined as arrogantly superior and disdainful. And and when you hear the word scoffer, if you're like me, it just has this connotation to where, where you immediately think of the person who's loud and brash and obnoxious and that is very very uh, visibly prideful, like you just can see it a mile away. Uh, But you can be quiet and smug and be a scoffer. You can be quiet and smug and be someone who looks down on other people. And we could spend the rest of our time this morning talking about ways in which we do that. Think about all the ways we try to one-up people. Think about all of the ways we'll find anything and everything in order to elevate ourselves and feel superior. We've got, let's, let's just go through a few of these and I think you'll get the picture. And it's always both sides. It's always both sides. Political pride. Well, I'm not like those liberals. And then vice versa. The con, those conservatives are so narrow-minded. We've got religious pride. Well, at least I'm a Christian and not like those immoral pagans that I know. And then atheists or agnostics or people who don't believe in God say those Christians are so narrow-minded and they're so naive and superstitious. Can you believe them? Theological pride. We got any theological pride in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition? Family pride. We look at other families. Can you believe they do things like that? That's the way they run their family? Or education pride. We've got public school. We've got private school. We've got home school. And they all think they're the best. 
exercise pride. I was at Orange Theory working out, and I hear somebody, I mean, it's everywhere. Oh, I don't go to CrossFit. You'll get hurt. That's where you go to get hurt. You go here, and it's safer for you. And then you hear the CrossFit people saying, well, it's not as good a workout. (laughs) Or you've got diet pride. You've got the uh, whole food people. That's where they shop, and all the whole food people look down on the McDonald's people. (laughs) You get the picture. Everybody's looking down on somebody else because we're prideful, and we'll find anything and everything in order to make ourselves feel superior. And so how do you see pride at work in your life this morning? What is it about you that you look at and say, this makes me better? This makes me more superior or special than other people. Whatever that is for you this morning, that is your pride that God is putting his finger on and wanting you to deal with this morning. Self-absorption is the other way pride looks. So it looks like condescension, but it also looks like self-absorption. And the freedom of self-forgetfulness, by the way, that is a booklet that costs you maybe $3. Uh, I read that every quarter. It takes you 15 minutes to read it, Uh, and it is so helpful. Uh, It's by Tim Keller, so the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And one of the things he points out that's interesting, he says that you don't notice your body parts until something is wrong with them when they're working correctly. And, And you think about it. You don't walk into your house on a Wednesday afternoon and say, Honey, my elbows sure are working good today. No, you only notice if your back or your neck or your pinky toe or your elbows when, if something is wrong with them. Well, think about your ego. Think about your pride. Our pride and our ego is always drawing attention to itself. It's always calling out for attention, which means what? That something is wrong with it, that it's deeply wounded and needs healing. Think about it. We cannot go through an hour of a day without drawing attention to, our, to ourselves, without overanalyzing ourselves, or without self-concentration. We leave a conversation and we say, wonder what they thought about me. Did I say something stupid? Did that come out right? Oh, no, I can't believe I said that. Or uh, we, we say things like, they hurt my feelings. Or how did they receive me? How did I sound? What did I say? And it keeps us up at night and it consumes the neck the whole day and we walk in and we can't function because we're worried about how we came across or what somebody thought of us. That's self-absorption. That is pride. Because you're consumed with yourself. Self-concentration. Or maybe for you, you don't come off as prideful. Maybe it's more internal and it's more self-critical and insecure. I'm a failure. No one likes me. Woe is me. You see what's happening there? It's still what? Self-absorption and drawing attention to yourself. Why do we do this? Because our sense of self and identity is deeply wounded. Donald Miller, I don't agree with everything Donald Miller says, but he's got some great illustrations. And he says this, that one of the most powerful addictions on the planet is the addiction to self. He said, the greatest lie any of us has to battle is that life is a story about me. He said, I felt like that once. 
that life was a story about me because I was in every scene. In fact, I was the only one in every scene. And when anyone would walk into my scene, it would frustrate me because they were disrupting the general theme of my play, namely my comfort. And then listen to what he says. It's pretty funny. Remember, his name's Donald. He said, my mind is like a radio station that only picks up one station. And the station is K-D-O-N. All Don, all the time. That's us. We're consumed with ourselves. Our mind is like a radio station oftentimes, isn't it, that picks up one station ourselves. Pride. What is it? It's thinking too highly of yourself, but also it's self-concentration, being self-absorbed. Secondly, what's the trouble with pride? Uh, This week I walked into uh, my house and I hear that beeping sound. And I'm thinking immediately it is the smoke detector and the battery needs to be changed. But I was thankful in a way because that normally happens at 2 in the morning, (laughs) doesn't it? It's always at 2 in the morning when the smoke detector, the battery needs changing. But this was in late afternoon. I walk in, it's beeping, and I do some walking around the house, and it ends up being not the smoke detector but the carbon monoxide detector. And I go and I read the carbon monoxide detector, and it says END. You know what that means? You know, those things only last so long, then you're supposed to get a new one. So that means that the lifespan of this thing was out, and I needed to replace my carbon monoxide detector. Why is a carbon monoxide so important? Well, because the gas, it's called the silent killer. It's a gas that's odorless and tasteless and non-irritating, and if you do not get, get to it early, if you're poisoned by carbon monoxide, then you will die. That's why it's important to have a carbon monoxide tester. You know, our pride is often something that people can see in us a mile away, but to us, we can't smell it. We can't see it. It's non-irritating to us, but to other people, they see it. And we can't see it because it's tasteless and odorless and non-irritating. We don't notice it in our lives. And Proverbs is like the carbon monoxide tester that's beeping at us and driving us crazy. And it's trying to get our attention to deal with our pride. Why? Because if we don't deal with it, we'll die. Spiritually. And I'm not exaggerating. Look at Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. Pride makes you a fool. Uh, Look at 1812. We see something similar. So think about a parade. And if there's a parade and pride's leading the way, what's coming after pride? Destruction. Very straightforward. Pride results in ruin in your life. It brings trouble. How does pride bring trouble into our lives? Well, pride keeps you from growing spiritually. Uh, and maturing. Why? Because pride makes you unable to receive correction. Look at Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. 12.15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Let me say it another way here. Pride loves to talk and hates to listen. 
See, with pride, everyone else is always wrong, and they're always right. And like carbon monoxide, you don't see it. You don't see it in your own life. You see, pride, the ego is fragile. It's so fragile. And pride gets criticism, and it sees it as a tremendous threat to yourself and assault on your identity. And so when you get someone who corrects you or confronts you on something, pride makes you defend yourself. It makes you, you make excuses. You blame others. Why? Because your identity's at stake. It's an assault on you, on the very core of who you are. And so what do you do if you've got pride? Pride fights. It starts fighting back because you think, I've got to be a good person. And these people have to, or this person has to see me as a good person. Here's my question. Can anyone tell you anything? Can anyone tell you anything? It's okay to have an opinion, right? That's good. You need a sense of self. But would people say you're opinionated? There's a difference. Would the people say you're too opinionated? When people correct you, are they always wrong in their correction? Secondly, prideful people tend to not have close relationships. This is how it leads to destruction. Why? Because you're unable to empathize with someone else. Remember our definition, a proud person sees themselves as better than someone else. And so pride, you don't feel compassion, you feel condescension. It keeps you from noticing other people and recognizing hurting people and people who are suffering because you're so absorbed with your own agenda. And not only that, if someone is suffering or hurting, a prideful person will look at someone that is hurting and say, well, you got yourself into this mess? You've heard this. We've said it. You can get yourself out of this mess. A prideful person looks at someone who is suffering and says, I'm too smart for that. I would have never let myself get in that situation. Or I would have never let my family be put in that situation because I'm smart, I'm wise, I know better. Or a prideful person looks at someone who is struggling with something or suffering and they look and they immediately turn it back on themselves and again bring themselves into the story of the scene and say, I've got my own problems to deal with. And I've got too much going on in my own life to care and deal with someone else's problems. Third, pride leads to destruction in that it makes you unable to connect with God. Look at Proverbs fifteen twenty five. The Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. That's simply another way of saying, and you see it all throughout Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. There's a chapter in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity on Pride. Listen to this quote. It, um, it was really stuck out to me this week. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know that you are nothing in comparison, then you don't know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. 
A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, I love this, you cannot see something that is above you. That is so strong, friends. He is saying here that when you're prideful, you can't see some, and you cannot see something that is greater than you, God, or something above you, God. And you know what that does to you? That makes you ungrateful, entitled, and proud and prideful. What do I mean? Well, a prideful person looks at the good things that they have gotten in life, anything that's happened to them that has been a blessing. And you know what a prideful person says? I've done this. I've done this. This is because I, my power, my talent, my ability, I've worked harder and smarter than all these other people. I deserve this. You have this, I, I'm owed this. You don't see it as a gift. And God comes and through the scripture says that all of life is a gift. That who gave you your talent and your ability? Who put you in the family that you're in? You didn't have a choice over that. Why are you born here and not in the middle of Africa somewhere starving to death? Why were you born in this decade or this time rather than a hundred years ago? God put you here. And you see, pride pushes back and keeps you from seeing that. That all of life is a gift. And think about it. Pride sucks the joy out of life, doesn't it? Because if you think that you deserve something or owed something, then when you get something good, a prideful person says, well, it's about time. I should have gotten this five years ago. I deserved this. And then when things go badly, a prideful person gets bitter and says it's not fair. You see how that just sucks the joy out of a person's life? Pride destroys your ability to handle disappointment, and it also takes all the goodness out of life into the good times and the things that God's given you. You see, when we're prideful people, we get disconnected from God, and we're prideful because we start to see ourselves as above God rather than below God and seeing Him as greater than us. Lastly, the healing of pride. Anybody else need to be healed of pride this morning? In Proverbs, you see the opposite of pride is humility. And humility, really in lots of ways, is seen as equated with wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so the question is, what does it show us about humility? Look at 1533, the fear of the Lord. There's that phrase again. If you've been coming through our series is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor so there's the train right there's the parade and when humility is leading the train or the parade what's behind it honor when pride leads it behind it is destruction and the word here uh, honor it's translated it's glory and it actually means weight and so someone who is humble has some substance to them. They have some weightiness to them. And so what does it look like for someone to have true gospel humility? Well, it means that you see yourself below God and you see and know the reality of who you are before a holy God. And pride does the complete opposite. Humility, a truly humble person, uh, some of the marks will be they're very generous. They're very generous with all of their things and their possessions. Why? Because all of life's a gift. 
Not only that, but they're joyful and they're extremely grateful and thankful because all of life is a gift. And when you interact with a humble person, a truly humble person, uh, you don't walk away from them. And this is what we often think of humility. You don't walk away from them uh, thinking it's not low self-esteem or self-deprecating. You know, where you humble when you're interacting with people and they just beat themselves up. And just woe is me. That's not what gospel humility is. When you walk away from a true humble, that's self-absorption, remember? When you walk away from a truly humble person, here's what you're thinking. They're really interested in me. They gave me time, and they really listened to me as I told my story, and they asked really insightful questions. Uh, They seemed to care about me more than they did themselves. A truly humble person, they didn't bring every experience and every conversation and situations back to them. Because think about the body parts. When they're working properly, remember, you don't even notice them. They don't draw attention to themselves. Again, it's what Keller calls the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Anybody want freedom of self-forgetfulness? I want freedom of self-forgetfulness. Don't you get tired of the self-concentration and the tossing and turning in the middle of the night because you got snubbed or because of what you said on a conference call or because how you interacted with someone, an employee. Don't you want to change? We all want to change. How do we do that? Well, normally we go towards the will, and I want to take us towards Jesus and the gospel. How do we grow in humility and have our pride healed and our egos healed if they're always drawing attention to themselves? Well, you do that by standing at the foot, standing in faith at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And what do you see when you stand in faith at the foot of the cross of Jesus? You see Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you hear that? Jesus, God in the flesh, he had every reason to be proud, and yet he humbled himself and came down to earth. He didn't stay with the glories of heaven, but he came down and was born in a stable and lived a life and had no place to lay his head. And he went to the cross and died death even on a cross. Why? Because he loves you. And because he came into this world to pay the debt that we owed for our sin. And you know what the debt was for us? Think about this in terms of us being entitled and thinking we deserve things. What does the Bible say that we What's the debt we owe for our sin? Eternal punishment. For the wages of sin is eternal death. The Bible says that's what we deserve. And Jesus came and said, I don't want my people to experience that because I love them and I want to be with them forever. And Jesus takes our place and dies in our place on the cross so that we could live. And so we, you see how that eats away your pride? Stand at the foot of the cross in faith and it humbles you. Because you say, Jesus, right now, is not giving me what I deserve. He's given me what I don't deserve by grace alone. 
And then we also see at the foot of the cross something else. When you stand in faith at the foot of the cross, you look around and what do you see? You see that we're all the same. We're all the same. See, pride eats away, the cross eats away at your pride because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The cross tells you that you're not an exception to the human race, that you're not more special than anyone else, and that you need grace just like everyone else needs grace. That's why the pastor and the 50-year churchgoer and the person who thinks they're really good and has been in church for 50 years, that's why they're standing right next to the prostitute and the drug addict because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and the ground eats away at our pride because it says we're not better than anyone else. The, pro- the cross says even on your best day, think about your best day you've ever had. Someone had to die for you on your best day. And lastly, standing at the foot of the cross gives you a radical new identity. Because at the foot of the cross, when you're there before Jesus, you see that the verdict is in on you if you believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning the verdict is in from the only person that really matters. Because in the eyes of God, if you trust in Jesus, you are loved and beautiful and successful and acceptable. And because of that, you don't have to go searching for verdicts from anyone else. Do we look for verdicts on our life from other people? Do we look for verdicts in other things? And you see what that means, don't you? Is you can take criticism. You can have someone critique you because... That doesn't override God's verdict on you. And you can invite and actually even receive it and not be crushed by it. And you don't have to prove yourself and to be competitive all the time. Because God says, you are my son or daughter and in you I am well pleased. You see, the cross is the only thing that's going to heal your pride. Jesus came and died for people like me. And people like you who are prideful people. Will you come to Jesus this morning and let him change you? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you came into the world. And that you had every reason to be prideful. And yet you humbled yourself and came to earth so that we might live. Forgive us for putting you in our debt. Forgive us for putting ourselves above you. Lord, would you make us truly humble people that see all of life as a gift. I pray now that you would receive these tithes and offerings and that you would use them to further your kingdom in our city and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.